Good morning. This is a good morning to be here. I'm going to be talking about hope this morning, so let me pray to get us started. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we come this morning with different thoughts in our minds, different ideas, different things we're thinking about, maybe something that happened on the car ride on the way here, maybe something that happened this last week. Lord, I just pray that we would leave with this infinite hope that we're going to hear about. From your word, this infinite hope in Jesus. I pray that we would leave here changed and transformed by your Holy Spirit, wanting, wanting to obey and follow Jesus. I pray that we would hear about him this morning. And even if we've read this, this passage before, if we've read through this book of the Bible, that there would be something new and fresh for us to see. And here, something that maybe you didn't show us before. But God, most of all, that we would leave with hope. Hope that cannot be squashed by a frustrating job, by grades at school, by a broken marriage and broken relationships. But a hope that transcends all that, that is above all that, that changes us from the inside on the way out. Lord, we just ask this morning that you would use us as a church, as a community, to serve others, to love others, and give them an invitation to this hope. We say all this in Jesus' name, amen. My name is John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church. I'd like to welcome you here. You might have received an invite card, one of these little small cards. If you didn't get one last week and you'd like to invite someone this week, we have these at the Connection Center this week. And you might be here because someone handed one of these to you. So if you are, and this is your first time here, we have a gift for you over at the Connection Center. So go and get that after service. Today we're going to be in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, which I looked at the epistle, uh, Paul's epistles, the four of them, and I I just memorized Gentiles eat pork chops. So Colossians is after what? Philippians, because Gentiles eat pork chops. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 today. And we're, we're going to be going through some, some pretty heavy stuff uh, today because, because hope is something that we, get, we sometimes lose in other people and other things. And so our series is called Circles. And we're going to look, Sunday mornings, we're going to be looking at our personal circles. Like, for example, your family. Your family is a circle. It's the people you surround yourself with. So your work or school circle, there's another circle. And then there's this third circle, the community circle. Maybe there's people you see every day. You get coffee at the same time at the same coffee shop, and you're able to say hi to that person. You have a conversation. That's the bigger picture circle. And then we're also, we launched last week Sunlight Circles, which is an opportunity for us to come together, encourage one another, so that we can go out and reach our own personal circles. Because it may not seem like it with me standing up here, but each one of you has a personal ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a ministry that God's given you. That, to be honest, one of the coolest things that happen is when I get to hear about someone doing something way greater than I can ever do in my entire lifetime because they've gone out and 
embrace the fact that they have a personal ministry. So if you want to you follow along and you're on your phone or an iPad, you can go to the app. We have a Sunlight app in the Google Play Store and the iTunes Store. And you can click on the top of the feed there and you can go right to Colossians chapter 1. And so today, like I said, we're going to talk about hope. Now, hope. This idea of an eternal hope, an infinite hope. The, this hope, sometimes we hear the word hope and we think a few different things. Here's what I thought about hope. I hope you feel better. Don't you love hearing that? I hope you feel better. I would rather hear someone say they're praying for me, but I hope you feel better. I probably said that three times this week. I hope you feel better. It's like something we just say, we throw out there. It's this hope of, I hope. Best wishes, you know, like, I hope. I hope we win this week. Anyone ever heard that before? You're talking about your favorite team with a friend of yours, and you're like, I hope we win this week. I hope I get a raise at work, but I'm not going to talk to my boss. I'm just going to hope, okay? I'm going to hope. In my case, this is what I keep hearing. My wife hopes she has the baby this week, okay? So she's been hoping a lot. (laughs) But are any of those hopes that really concretely actually are something that we can hope in, and there's going to be something on the other end of it? I mean... That's why people gamble, right? They don't know for sure if they're going to get what they are wanting. We talk about hope, but I don't know that we use that word for anything that really it was intended for. It's more like what I wish would happen. You know, some people say, I wish. Well, most people say, I hope. I've noticed a culture of, I hope you feel better. I hope you... And so hope is this invisible thing that's like a wish. It just leaves us and evaporates. And then we're stuck wondering what hope really is. Because hope in the Bible, but this, this hope that we're going to talk about today is totally different than this invisible thing we just wish on other people. True hope is not this way. Martin Luther King Jr., I, I know I'm starting a sermon with a Martin Luther King Jr. quote, but this was, this was honestly, I couldn't get this out of my mind all week as I'm preparing. It says, he said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. We can, we can accept limited disappointment, but we can never, never lose infinite hope. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, we have an invitation to hope through him. There's things that are happening in each one of your lives that I could never fully comprehend, but I know Jesus does because he is the hope that we can, we can see and can be explained, but it's also the hope of the unseen. We talked about faith in the unseen last week, and so we have the opportunity to invite people to hope. Today, we're going to look at the source of hope, and this is, I know this is a little different this morning, but we're going to do something a little different. The passage I'm going to be preaching on is Colossians 1, 24 through 29, but I'm actually going to read the entire prior passage to you, and then just almost go straight into the next passage. I want you to do something as I do this. I want you to really listen to the words of verse 15 through 23. If that means closing your eyes, I'm not offended. If that means snoring, I will be. So just, just there's a line, okay? If that means closing your eyes, that's okay. I'm gonna read 15 through 23 because you need to know what this hope is that we're gonna talk about right after this. The hope is, is what he describes in 15 through 23. And he's talking about Jesus. So context-wise, he's talking about Jesus. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in all things hold together. In him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He might be first. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And this is, this is what you need to hear this morning. This is what I needed to hear, and I need to hear this every day. And you, us, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If you indeed continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Those are some powerful, powerful words. Those are words that when I read it, I'm like, I can't preach the next passage without reading that. Those are some words that you want to read over a few times. Maybe today it didn't catch. Tomorrow it might, or the next day. I read this to show the context. This hope that he's describing is found in Jesus. There's no other hope. This hope is infinite. There's no limit to it. There's no limit. But when we hope in things, it's pretty limited, right? Those of you that were Browns fans last week, I was kind of mean. But if I told you which team in football I like, you'd probably laugh too. So we hope in things, and we really, it's, we're limited in our hope. And so the Apostle Paul tells us this. You want to be right at the end here. Right at the end where it says in verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. I'm going to stop there. Apostle Paul tells us that we are able to pass this invitation to hope onto other people. We're able to do this because it's been proclaimed everywhere. This idea of, uh, of proclaiming is it's a manifesto. It's, it's, what it, it's the ex most exciting thing you want to talk about. It's the day after some TV show comes out and everyone watches it. It's the day after the Super Bowl when half of you only watch the commercials and the other half watch the game. It's, it's something everyone's doing. It's this manifesto that's so important that you can't stop talking about it. And then he gets to verse 24. And he actually talks about something that's not really that easy. Let's read that, verse 24 through 29. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the, his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. This verse, number 27 here, has been one of the most important verses in my life. I'm going to read this. Think about this. To them, the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, we're all Gentiles here, most of us, 
are the riches of his glory, this, of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And he says, Paul ends with this, for this I toil, struggling with all energy that he powerfully works within me. Verse 24 starts by addressing the Colossians. And he's writing a very personal letter empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he's writing this letter and he says, I'm suffering for your sake and I'm rejoicing about it. And I I, I covered the topic of suffering, but I don't know anybody that the first thing we do when we're suffering is we rejoice. I don't know anyone that walks into a room and someone they love has passed away and they rejoice. When you're suffering, you don't want to rejoice, but he rejoices because his rejoicing is in the suffering that's just like Jesus. He's suffering for sharing the hope he has and not because he's in sin. It's as simple as that. He says something here that's curious, and I I need to clarify because actually in reading this, I was like, what is he talking about here? He says this this phrase, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And this doesn't mean the sacrifice of Jesus didn't fully pay the price for our sins. What this means is that Paul is continuing in the suffering that Jesus started for the sake of the gospel. He's continuing to share the mystery of the good news for the sake of the church. Jesus didn't lack anything in his death on the cross. And I've heard this said many times. One drop of Jesus' blood is enough to pay the price for all of our sins. It wasn't a matter of how much or how little because it was infinite in its sacrifice. So we can have joy in suffering if we're suffering for the gospel, for the good news. But we really don't want to suffer for sin. But does this mean everything gets amazing later? If we're joyful in our suffering, does this mean everything gets amazing later? No. No. Guess what? You're going to still be going through things. Your heart's going to be heavy sometimes. You're going to hurt. But our hope is this. Our hope is to have joy in suffering. If we don't have joy in suffering, what's what's the other option? Just wallow in our pain? Misery loves company? What are we going to do? Jesus modeled this, though, this joy in suffering. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, For the joy who was set before him, he endured the cross. That's something that that we're not necessarily enduring a cross. There's not going to be a crucifixion on stage here. It's, but we're enduring for the sake of Jesus. Paul modeled that in this passage. He was given a message. Every single one of you sitting here today have been given a message that transformed the world and is transforming the world and will transform the world. And that's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. It's been, it, we have been given hope And Paul was urged to share that hope. You are too. Hope is found in the word of God. Last week I mentioned this, but I think it's important. If you've never read the beginning of the gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was was God. That's Jesus. And we can fully know him. He talks about fully knowing him. Paul knew something else. Now maybe you're not thinking you're Paul. You're like, okay, Paul lived 2,000 years ago, and... Okay, so I'm not Paul. You are like Paul. 
If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's no difference between you and the Apostle Paul. If you're following Jesus, this same hope, he knew Jesus, he experienced his love, he hoped for him. Paul was sharing with others what he loved. When you have hope, you want to share it. When we don't have hope, we want to share it still. But the point is, when we have the hope we have inside, and we have the hope that we have in the Word of God, and this hope of glory, it's hope worth sharing. Our hope is hope worth sharing. I'll tell you a few things. When your check engine light is on, and it's not normally on, you don't have as much hope, right? If you're, if you're driving a car, it's just not going to happen. So you hope that you get home. You hope that something happens. And you realize that's really hope, and you have no idea what the, what the result is. It's clear in the Word of God, if you follow Jesus Christ, He's given you the same hope. We're evangelists for sharing the things we love, though. We'll tell people about the things we love. Movies, books, restaurants, experiences, sales. You know, I got this at Kohl's, right? Oh, the outlets have a great sale this weekend over in Fremont. Oh, yeah. We're evangelists for things that we love or we put our hope in. And so if we're going to put our hope in something, shouldn't we put our hope in something that matters more than anything else? When we experience God's hope, we share God's hope. And so Paul talks about this mystery, and he's speaking of the good news of Jesus Christ because it was hidden from the whole Jewish people for a time and then revealed to the church. If the hope has been revealed to you, if you are in the word of God, and you know you're following Jesus with everything that you are, the hope has been revealed to you. You can't help but share the mystery. Everyone loves a good mystery. Here's, here's an example. Don't go to a movie that you really want to see with someone that's already seen it, okay? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like when the new Star Wars movie comes out, I'm going to see it with nobody that's seen it before because I don't want to hear that what happens at the end. If I'm going to see a Lord of the Rings movie, whatever it is, anything, any movie that I want to know the plot, I'm making sure that the person has not seen it before because it doesn't matter. I don't want to know the spoilers. Any of you not check social media after the last Marvel movie came out? I didn't see it for four days, and I was like, I can't go on Facebook. I can't go on Twitter. Someone's going to reveal all the secrets to me. Everyone loves a good mystery. You like walking into something, and it's a new story. Well, this mystery is the same hope we have, and that hope is greater than any other story ever created, ever written. Everyone loves a good mystery, and this hope is a good mystery. And then it says this, verse 27 refers to this them, it's the Jews. These Jewish saints had received Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior. And at least most of us are Gentiles, and it says we have the riches of the hope of Jesus. And so this next point I have, I, I had to think about this a lot. And I really think that this is what sometimes we're missing with our hope. Our hope is in the miracle. There's a miracle that happens here that we don't notice because we're not Jewish and we're not Gentiles and we're not 2,000 years ago. The miracle was Jews and Gentiles sitting at the same table sitting at the same table with the same hope, having conversations together, two different people groups that hated each other, Romans 
that at one point were beating the same people that now they're sitting on the same table having dinner with, most hated enemies, reconciling for the sake of Christ. This hope of glory is found in Jesus. If former enemies can sit at the same table, we can sit at the same table as anybody. Isn't that powerful? Think about it. There's a miracle happening here. It's reconciled relationship. It's it's eternal life. That last section of the passage says we were alienated, but now we've been brought close. It is the hope. It's not just a hope. It is the hope. There is no other hope. We can hope in a bunch of things. We can, we can say things like, I hope so-and-so comes back. But until we lay it before God, we're really doing nothing but saying, I hope. We're not doing anything about it. It's God's glory, not our own. And we're going to share this riches for eternity. When we see him work, and I mean Jesus, we praise him for the miracle it was is and will be. And I I wanted to define a miracle because some of you may look at this and go, where did he talk about miracles? A miracle is defined as a surprising and welcomed event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. Think about that. There's no explanation for enemies. Whatever reason, there's no reason enemies should be sitting at the same table. I want you to do something, a little exercise, and this is going to be a little awkward. For those of you in front, you're going to get the most out of this. Look around at the people around you. Do you see people you don't know? If you see someone you don't know, raise your hand. Hopefully everyone raised their hand. Because, Okay, so if you, if you are sitting in this room and you look around and you see people you don't know, first off, then why are you here? You're not here with your friends, right? Because not everyone's your friend. That's one thing, but, but the reality is there's people in this room that you probably are sitting in different spots because you're like, oh, I, this is where I sit and I see the same people every week and it's comfortable. When it comes down to the miracle is most of you, if we were to take a, a, a breadth of your opinions, if I had 10 minutes to ask everyone 10 questions, I would get thousands of different answers in a room this size. Thousands of different answers because we think differently. But what's the one reason we're all here? There's only one reason. It's the hope we have in Jesus. And don't we want more people to have the same hope? This same hope? That's the miracle is that you're in a room with people with diverse opinions and different ideas about life. But one thing we can agree on is Jesus. He's the center focus of all this. The good news of Jesus is, simply put, is not just a mystery. It's a miracle that benefits us. It's where God came down through Jesus, paid a price that we couldn't pay for our sake. So our hope is a manifesto. It's a warning and it's wisdom. You know what? I, I go through life all the time and I, the thing I was struggling with this summer as I was processing through a lot of stuff is I, I'll say things to someone and I'll give them good advice. I'll use the word good advice. I show them what's in the word of God and they leave my office and they go and do something completely different, right? Anyone ever have that in your job or something like that? Yeah, can I see some nodded heads because people do that all the time. And you go, but I care. I want them to change. 
And the, the key thing that I realized is I can't change that person, but I can give them hope and they can act on it and God's Holy Spirit can work in their life. So I'm not going to stop going to the word and showing people what it says because just because it's not going to work all the time, that's, that's something God can do. We got to remember that. It, it, we got to still proclaim and warn and teach people with all wisdom. The result here that Paul talks about is mature believers in Jesus Christ. Don't we want to be called mature? You know, the most cutting thing in my adult life is when someone goes, You're really unmature. That's really, it hurts. You're immature. Okay. I don't know what to do with that. What do you, you know, can you give me examples? What did I do? My wife would say wearing band t-shirts. I know, this is really weird. I, I got all my clothes from the 90s this week because I have no clothes that fit me. And I wore band t-shirts most of the week. So that was, that was an experience that my wife's like, I think 30-year-old John shouldn't do that. Okay, you ever have someone tell you that? And so she's warning me. It's very subtle. It's kind of a joke now. 30-year-old John won't do that. So I just kind of go back to her. 30-year-old John doesn't do the dishes. He just puts things in the dishwasher. You know, I just make things up. So we have to remember, though, if we're going to mature, if we're going to be mature, we're presenting others this invitation to hope that we have ourselves. You can't invite people to something that you don't have yourself. What are you going to invite them to? A false hope? This is our manifesto. This is our warning. This is our wisdom. We have all wisdom through Jesus Christ, through the Word of God, through the Bible. It's really simple. We need to be discipling people. Maybe you don't know what that means. Getting together with someone, talking about God, reading his word. It's not, it's not complicated. You know, there's 14 million different books you could use or different ways you could ask conversations. It's sharing the good news. It's warning everyone of something that I think in our world right now in the United States is really hard to do. Warning of the consequences of not following Jesus. We, we, we're afraid of saying something in a loving, gentle way like we talked about last week with our faith. We're afraid of saying something when that person is going to walk off that cliff and we're just letting them go. We're afraid. It's a, it's a warning. It says this warning. And then Paul closes this passage by discussing the hard work that this is. Our hope is in God's strength, his energy, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We share hope. We disciple others. We warn others of the power of God. We can't do this on our own. That's why we have sunlight circles. It's as simple as that. You can't do it on your own. You're going to have a bad week. And you're going to realize, man, I had four opportunities this week, but I had no one to talk to, and I probably could have taken advantage of three of them because the first one I just didn't. But I needed some encouragement to go and do it. We can't do this on our own. And we're people with hope. You may have walked in here with not a lot of hope. Maybe you have someone, a family member, that's really sick. You don't have much hope. Well, I'll tell you something. If they're following Jesus, I have a lot of hope that you're going to see him again. And I'm going to see him again. 
That's the hope that we have. That's greater than any hope that you can be given by someone else. And so Ephesians 12, or 2, 12, and 13 tells us of when we had no hope. You want to remember this. Ephesians 2, 12, and 13. If you're writing notes, remember this. Because it says, Remember that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise. Having no hope, And without God in the world, remember this verse, verse 13. This will change your life if you have not heard this before. But now, in Christ Jesus, who you were once far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. We are people living with hope that are near to God and have access to his strength, the energy that he has, the power he has through his Holy Spirit. What does this mean? We have this hope, this hope of glory. We have an opportunity to give others an invitation to the same hope we have. This is so powerful. So what does this mean for our circles? Our family circle, our school, our work circle, our community circles. Our family circle is our immediate family. Simply put, this is what I'm talking about. How do you apply this to your immediate family? Those we're close in proximity to. So your immediate family might mean a grandparent. It might mean an aunt or an uncle, whoever you're living with. Who's your immediate family? Here's the first thing and the hardest thing. Parents will get this. And until you're a parent, you probably won't. So hope that God will save them and not us. Hope that God will save them and not us. And what I mean by that, not that you're not a part of it, but the reality is, if they're going to live, the children or the people that you're around, your immediate family, if they're going to get saved, you might have a huge part in that, but maybe you're not the one that does it. Maybe you're not the one that that gets them across the line, because God's doing that. It's not our work, but maybe you're not the one that prays with them. Maybe you're not the one that says the thing to them that just peaks in their mind. Maybe God doesn't use you for that. So, so pray that he will save them and not us. And pray for our family m- members to hope and not fear. You know, I was singing earlier the tremble song and kind of teared up a little bit because when it came to that song... My son, he's four years old. It's the only song he knows how to sing, okay? My daughter can sing like 50 songs. She's six years old. Only song he can sing, and he just yells, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, you know, think about this. If we change the lyrics a little bit. Jesus, Jesus, you make us hope and not fear. Remember that with your families. That's about Jesus. Pray for your family. Treat your family out of hope, not the fear of they're not where you want them to be. In a room this size, most of you have some expectation on your family that they're not where they should be or you want them to be. I'm here to tell you that you need to rest in the hope of Jesus Christ rather than the hope that they're going to pick up and do what you want them to. But rest in the hope of Jesus, that Jesus and and God is going to put on their heart the change that needs to happen that's best for them and not just best for what you think they need to do.
the school or work is, is the people that we spend time with, that we go to school with, that we work with. And then this work and school circles, pray for those you go to school with and you work with by name. For them to have the hope, the only hope worth having. Nothing else. There should be nothing else that we really pray for when it starts. The very basic, if you know nothing about a person, you pray for them to have hope. You pray for them to have faith. That's it. Every day I get in the car, I take my daughter to kindergarten. And when we get in the car, I say, okay, so what are we doing this morning? And my daughter goes, we pray. That's, that's the first thing on our minds. Pray. And then I say, okay, Annalise, she's six. Annalise, who can we pray for? Who is the person we're praying for today? And she'll go, my friend, da-da-da, and says a name. And I go, okay, let's pray for them. What should we pray for them? And it comes down to, do they know Jesus? Even in a six-year-old mind, she understands that that is what's most important. It's not about grades. It's not about if she's on, like they have a color code system in kindergarten. It's not like if she does better on behavior. It's literally, does this person know Jesus? Pray for them to have the hope, the only hope worth having. Wait for opportunities to share hope in a world filled with despair and negativity. It's a lot easier to share something that's negative. Social media is filtered with it all the time. It's just flooded with with negative. So much easier. If you're sharing hope, in a world filled with despair and negativity, you're going to realize that maybe God is using you in a way you never thought of before to transform the culture of, of this place that you spend one-third of your life at, work and school, to transform that. And maybe maybe you, you work for yourself. You're self-employed. You have people you interact with. And those people are the people that are going to keep coming back and asking for hope. I know some of you, I've heard from some of you, some of you have have done things in such a way in the community that people wonder if you're a pastor. And you should say, I'm a follower of Jesus. (laughs) I don't need a title, right? People are going to wonder because you have hope. And our community circle is people that you come in contact with in the community. It's the places you go on a regular basis. And in your community circle, best thing about hope you can't really share hope if you don't know people's story. And so you need to have a curiosity about their story. Be curious. Ask curious questions. You know, someone tells you something deep, like they just lost someone, say, you know, how did that feel? What are you going through right now? Make it about them, not you. We can share hope to where they're at. If you're sharing someone hope where they're at, you're going to know part of their story and have this posture of listening and learning. I'm going to say this again, and, and I really, I think this is very important. No one loves a know-it-all. No one does. Sometimes when we want advice, we do want to know-it-all. We want someone that knows more than us, right? But no one is, is going to open up their soul and their heart to the hope we have in Jesus if we're constantly telling them what they're doing completely wrong. 
Like you do it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. But if you're gracious and you're kind, completely transforms the conversation. So what? what so why, why does hope matter so much? Hope matters because of three things. Our hope is joy and suffering, and it's worth sharing. If you have joy and suffering, guess what? Someone's going to ask you why you have hope. Someone's going to ask you why you have joy in that situation. Someone's going to ask you why you're not as concerned about what's happening right now because you have an eternal focus and you're saying, I know what's going to happen. I know I'm going to be with Jesus when I leave this life. So no matter what happens today, no matter if I leave here and I get in a car accident, God is going to meet me there and I'm going to be with him. When you have that kind of certainty, it's hope worth sharing. It's this joy and suffering, and it's a miracle. So our hope is the miracle. It's a manifesto, a warning. It's wisdom. Scripture talks about when I, when I thought like a child. When I, when I was a child, I thought like a child. And you know what? There's that one point in your life, and hear me this. You're on one end or the other. There's a point where you start listening to the wise people in your life, your parents, the, the, the people in your life that are older than you, and then you realize for a second, I'm not as wise as I thought I was, and this hope we have is wisdom to every person on this entire planet. So why won't we share that with everybody? Our hope is in God's strength, his energy, his power. Paul couldn't do this on his own. We can't do it on our own. I wake up in the morning and I ask God, God, please give me strength today. Just give me strength to deal with what's coming today. We've all had a bad day, but I think it starts, our day starts when it starts with, God, give me strength Give me energy. Give me, give me power in your Holy Spirit's name to go and be hope to the people that you've put on my mind, the people that I know need Jesus. Maybe I need more hope. God, give me more hope. Start there. We're not going to leave here this morning without doing communion. And there's a reason. There is a huge reason for that. If you looked at verses 15 through 23, that is the God we serve. The one who made known this hope that is everlasting, that is infinite, that is eternal, that goes well beyond what you see right in front of your face today. That hope that died on a cross Sometimes we leave Jesus right there, but he raised to new life. That's the hope we have. Hope in something that I, I know is a miracle. I know it won't. How did Jesus raise from the dead? And the only explanation is that the hope we have is in God, the God that created the universe and made Jesus known to all of us, this hope of glory. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have the ushers come forward and start communion. And the important thing about communion, I just want to say, there's only two things in the Bible that says the church is supposed to do. The, the sacraments or ordinances, different people use different words, and that's baptism and communion. 
we meet together, we gather together to worship God. But, but there's not a certain way to gather together. But there is communion. There's, there's bread and there's the cup, which is, which is grape juice. And baptism, that you're washed by the water. And so this morning, this is a very important part of the service this morning. I'm going to pray and have the ushers come and and pass out communion. And we're going to read from the scriptures about that one final night where Jesus set out the first step on his way to the cross. That he was going to die for you, for me, for all of us. The same Jesus that you have an opportunity to share with others every day. They can ridicule you. They can make fun of you. But in the end... If it's an eternal hope that we can hope everlasting, why not? What have we got to hold back? There's nothing left. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you this morning to come with us on this journey of hope that you've you've started. I pray for those in the room that don't have hope yet. I pray specifically, Lord, that you would show yourself to them. I pray for those that have lost hope in you, Lord. I just pray, God, that you would make the same hope known. Make it aware to them. Show them the greatness of the glory of God. The greatness of this eternal hope that we have, this infinite hope. So God, as we, as we start communion, help us to have a spirit of reflection in our hearts and our minds, understanding that we have the greatest hope of all eternity. We say this in Jesus' name.